Hello, and welcome to The Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I'm feeling a little hungry from lunch because I ate a vegan meatball uh, marinara sub, and it, it wasn't exactly filling. It tasted good, but it wasn't filling. Okay. Um, well, that's a, that, that, sure. Uh, I'm Luke. Uh, <laughs> that really threw me. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm now the host of the Content Minds, and I had my first prep sandwich in about four months today. Congratulations uh, for uh, Americans who might not be familiar with prep a manger. It's um, it's a very uh, it's a quintessential uh, British desk lunch. Yeah, it is, and I had a desk lunch. Uh, I I I haven't I, I haven't been, I haven't had to go into the office today for the first time in yeah since I think November. Um, so yeah, I got, I got to go to prep while I was there. It was a, a big moment. <laughs> uh, this week, we are talking about the royal family. We're talking about Harry and Meghan. We're talking about the content cycle of British tabloids, and we have a guest. She is a returning guest from the Content Minds because we don't like to talk to strangers, uh, so we keep a very small pool of friends to bring on <laughs> who happen to be experts in whatever's going on this week. And so Ellie Hall, she's a reporter for BuzzFeed News. She is... The writer of the like incredibly viral, incredibly good uh, Megan Kate Middleton uh, comparison post that you've seen everywhere, and she'll be on and was cited in the interview itself and was cited indirect in indirectly indirectly directly. It basically set the tone for Oprah's interview. It's an incredible piece of work, and and we'll link to it in the show notes. And Ellie will be breaking down every single thing you could you could ever wonder about how this stuff works. But first. Luke, how's the internet this week? Um, the internet has been only talking about Harry and Meghan. It's been extremely obsessed with Harry and Meghan. It's been very angry. Uh, it's been riled up. Uh, it would be good if it calmed down a little bit, I think. I think so. I, 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 I'm sort of like trying to like change my perception of how the, how the internet works now because like it does feel like we have like these massive stories that last two or three weeks. And, you know, it's like the insurrection, it's GameStop, it's Harry and Meghan. They don't have anything in common except that they do because they're this like one story in which everything flows. And it's like a weird way of rethinking about culture, I suppose. Uh, I have something to show you. Okay. I have something to show you as well. But you go first. I'm going to drop mine in the chat because it's very confusing and I don't like it. And I need you to watch it and react to it. Okay. I'm going to react to it. Konnichiwa, Watashi Nonamai wa, Boris Johnson, London Shishu death. <laughs> it's extremely strange. N- nothing could have prepared me for that. <laughs> so this is Boris Johnson speaking <laughs> Japanese, sort of. Um, the user, y- your boy Hart, who tweeted it, called it Nihongonese, which is uh, basically like Japan, Japanish, like like a bad Amer- bad English Japanese. Wow, this is incredible. What is this from? Why did this happen? Uh, I think it was when he was mayor of London, so it's from like a decade ago. Uh, and I assume he did a bunch of different stuff for like you know international allies of London. Uh, but it's incredibly strange to see him speaking Japanese. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't like it, but also it's super funny. He's also famously incredibly bad at languages. Yeah. Um, there's a documentary that goes around of him speaking French, and he uh, he can't speak French, <laughs> and but and like keeps speaking French, and everyone else keeps talking to him in English, and then he continues to try and speak French badly, uh, and therefore is like every other British person. He's perfectly represented. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's the perfect British man. Okay, I've got one for you. It's I'm really curious about your opinion about this. Did you see? This was sent to me by my friend Alan today. Did you see that Yahoo News now has the most popular TikTok account for like news publishers? I was fascinated by this. I think this I, is so fascinating. I came across them a few months ago, and I was like, "Hmm, Yahoo News is doing like I, 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 you know, I part of my job. I occasionally like do big searches of like what's everyone else doing, who, who's doing this, and I went through as many like um, tick." as many news outlets on tiktok as i could think of obviously some of them are quite well known like the washington post has a dave he's like does a tiktok thing uh it's 
of a quality that that, that is exists. Um, <laughs> and I went through all of this and I found Yahoo News and I was like, whoa. Like, because most other TikTok things, I think the only other notable one is probably um, NPR, uh, Planet Money's one. Right. Which is very good. It's very good, but it's also not very popular. It's also not very popular. But Yahoo News has figured out the sweet spot to be both quite good, deliver actual news, mm. and has got popular. It's really impressive. So this is why this is what I find interesting, because I know that you are equally skeptical of when news brands do the the thing where they're like they're making the thing, but they're not actually making the thing, and then journalists like congratulate them for not actually doing the thing that they're doing. I think you may need to explain that more for our for our listeners. <laughs> okay, so without naming publications or people, there's this common thing when a news publication branches out onto a new platform like TikTok, where they will make a big deal about how they're publishing on TikTok. And all of their content on that platform will be about how funny and weird and quirky it is that they're making content on that platform. And everyone outside of that platform will be like, wow, that's so amazing that like this news agency is making content for this platform. That's so cool. Let's interview them as an expert about this platform and, and laud them for this work that they're doing that's so amazing. And then you actually look at it and the numbers just really aren't there. And what they're actually doing is just making content for old people who aren't on the platform and showing it to them being like, see, like this is what people like there. And they're not actually building an audience there. They're not really doing anything of interest there. And then the layoffs come and they lay off the person who did the channel. And then the layoffs come. And everyone's like, oh my God, like this is so crazy. And it's like, well, it's because you weren't making things to actually be consumed by people on, let's say, TikTok. You were making things to be consumed by journalists tweeting your videos and being like, that's so funny. And it's a huge bummer every time it happens. So this, the fact that Yahoo News, the most boring sort of like you know capital news with a capital n kind of idea is doing well on tiktok is just like it feels good because it, it makes me feel less crazy <laughs> yeah and they're doing actual news there as well it's not it is not doing we are talking about the concept of doing news they're actually just doing news on it which they're is, just doing yeah it. it's good it's, it's good. great it's great i got one more thing for you hit me so as we were getting ready to record today i got an email from a listener named uh uh, Cecily, who sent me this photo that I am going to send to you right now. And it is based off a conversation we had uh, in a previous episode. So open that one up. Uh, it's Quinn's. Yeah. So in a previous episode oh, of The Content Minds, I don't think it was last week, but I think it was the week before last week, but it also could have been last week. All weeks blur together for me. We talked about Quinn's, one of the most disgusting and awful pubs mm. in Camden, which is a neighborhood in London. And uh, yeah. this is a photo um, of just like how depressing Quinn's looks because I think it's basically been closed for like a year. You know what's amazing about this? It looks the same as when it was open. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> and I'm looking yeah. at this and I'm like, I'm like, is it closed? Yeah. This could have been closed for a decade or for just the pandemic cecily wrote uh, it could still be open <laughs> cecily wrote look how sad quinn's looks and it's like yeah it does but it also i mean it, it has kind of always looked like that but yeah, that's how quinn's looks yes quinn's is quinn's is a is a dirty pub um yeah but i would literally i would lick the floor of quinn's the minute i get a vaccine that's how desperate i am to go to a bar thank you for sending that cecily yeah. it's uh it made me feel very special to to see that disgusting pub um Same. So this week, we have a guest, Ellie Hall. She's a, she's a longtime friend of mine. She's an incredible reporter, and she understands the, the, the sort of the, the royal content cycle better than anybody that I know. Um, so we're going to talk to her about Mexit, about Meghan and Harry, about the whole thing. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Um, okay. Hello, Ellie. Welcome back to the content minds. I think you have not been on this show since like last spring, probably, right? Yeah, I think it was around May. I remember it was warm. Summer was on its way. I mean, I mean, we're closing in on a year for the anniversary. We're clo closing in on the year anniversary of the show. So, you know, we've got to start going around again. That's true. The guests. Next week is, <laughs> is one year of content minds. 
which is really, really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we the show was a different show then. It was called Trailblazers, the first ever podcast <laughs> to be recorded by men. But, you know, the idea has because- stayed the same. The primary, the primary goal at the time was just for a reason for us to have a conversation and, and stay sane during a pandemic. And the only way we could do that was by pretending to make content yeah. rather than actually like talking yeah. as people. And you're two white men, so it had to be a podcast. Men yeah, will course. literally start a podcast instead of going to therapy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ellie, we're, Ellie, we brought you on the show today because this crazy couple named Megan and Harry, <laughs> everyone's talking about them, and I Wikipedia'd it. It seems like a big deal. So to start us off, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on with this whole world, you know? Yes. Okay. Um, what's going, what is going on? So back last year, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle made a very surprising announcement. Meghan Markle's his wife. You know that, right, Brian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. And they're, they're the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. That's, That's right. their title That's now. Right. Okay. So they stepped away from being working royals, which, Luke, you're British, what do you think royals do? You guys know more about them. They're there. What do they do for your country when they're working? <laughs> Not a fucking lot as well. They do. <laughs> no. no, they're they're basically royals. Royals do. Uh, I mean, working royals go around the world. They open fates. They open bridges. They rock up at new halls that I don't know. Children have dance lessons and or something, and then they cut a ribbon. And there's lots of them. This is the advantage. There's lots of them, <laughs> so you can always have a minor royal. There's, there's, they're everywhere. They're the British equivalent of those like fun Japanese mascots. You know, like every Japanese prefecture has like a mascot that's like the guy who has a fish for a head, and like the spooky post office ghost mascot, <laughs> like or like the train station that has a cat that runs it. That's like what the royal family is for England. You're thinking of the royal family as mascots is actually quite similar to how the british people think of them in that you're like i like that they're there they seem fun it's fine i don't care that much if they start getting on uh planes with like known predators of uh, young women you're like "Hmm, no longer into this no longer into this mascot allegedly that's right so okay so last year harry and Meghan decided they would no longer be uh japanese train station mascots for england and then what happened ellie then Everything hit the fan. So the narrative that was in the UK tabloids that then got carried over to the rest of the world was that they were leaving because they wanted to make money and that they had blindsided the queen, that they you know wanted nothing to do with the royal family, completely out of the system, ungrateful, all of that. That was the narrative that why did they walk away? And Megxit, which is what the whole world has used to sort of describe this, was actually a Brexiter hashtag started when she was still dating him. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh yeah, no, it's it was it was like an anti biracial woman trolling hashtag and then the whole media picked it up. So that's why if you look on social media you will see sus exit among Megan stands because they don't sus use exit. Sus exit. Well You're right. almost there. So 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 this is really interesting because what we're, what we're having here is kind of a reconciliation of multiple narratives, one from the UK, one from the US, and one from uh, Boston, who doesn't know anything about this. Um, <laughs> I, I know plenty about this. Well, no, it, you are right, though. This has been a very confusing story for me particularly to follow because I've lived in both countries. And it it is this thing where, like, the British people do seem to be seeing something very different than the Americans. And it's kind of colliding on Twitter. Okay, yeah. so you said this in our conversation, Ryan, and I have wanted to write it in three stories, and I have not because I wanted to have this discussion with you on the show. Good, save your okay. best stuff for the content minds. That's right. <laughs> you guys have my you guys are my first interview. Like I have actually turned down interviews, not to Good. keep you guys as my first, but because I was busy. But you guys are my first interview. That's right. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, what did you want to say? That it's QAnon because I haven't been able to get that out of my brain since we said it earlier. Well, since you said it to me during our conversation earlier this week. Because it is like that—that's the perfect comparison for it in terms of narratives. Because the people who believe that Meghan Markle is bad are never going to not believe that she's bad. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so it's, it, you, you mean it's the same as QAnon in terms of everyone who sees the same set of basic facts has an entirely different interpretation of it. Right. You see the world. You look at the world, and what you see is totally normal, completely fine. They see as oh, Prince Charles and Prince William are collaborating with the media to go after Megan and this whole thing is a conspiracy theory. Um, but mm. you look at the royal family and if you like Megan, 
you see one thing. And if you don't like Megan, you see another. And the thing about the interview, to take it around back to that, is that it was election day, worlds collided, and these narratives that the press has been peddling don't work anymore because Harry and Meghan have countered them. Basically, every narrative the tabloids have been pushing for the past year, they said wasn't true. So this is really interesting. I have a friend um, who reads British tabloids pretty religiously. She's American. She's been fell in the royal family through these tabloids. And we spent like several hours the other day before the special with me just trying to like give her basic non-tabloid based facts about what was happening here. And it was like talking to someone from QAnon because she's not like a malicious person and she likes Megan, but she also like doesn't trust Megan and was like unable to articulate why she doesn't trust Megan. And there was like this, this idea that Megan was opportunistic. I think that, 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 like she was like scamming the Royal family and she was like playing oppression Olympics that for things that wasn't real. And it was, you could hear her sort of like parodying out these like tabloid rumors because as an American, she has no, she has no like resistance to British tabloids. They don't make any sense to her. This is it. So this is the big thing for me is that there is in the UK, British people have kind of an inbuilt resistance to British tabloids. Like it's, there is a look at it and it's like, <laughs> yeah. I understand what this is. I understand like, you know, it would be like uh, someone going to America and like watching SNL and being like, Wow, this is what these people really think. This is It's this is, like talking it's, to a Russian about Putin. They're just like, "Oh, <laughs> like yeah, don't take that seriously. Like we don't like we know yeah, yeah, that yeah. this is all bullshit." Like It's yeah. like, "Yeah, we know this is like 90%, 80%, 60%, 30% bullshit." It, th- there's like a, a set amount of this that we just kind of like, "Eh, we'll take that with a pinch of salt. It's fine." Which is what makes this really interesting because Americans then read this and the, and like the thing that comes back from America is like kind of actually similar to what you just said earlier. It's it's the, there was a set narrative that came out of the tabloids. And I was like, my memory of this is slightly different, which is there were like a bunch of narratives and they threw a bunch of stuff at the wall and kind of figured out what stuck. And British people were like, yeah, don't like it because this reason, don't like it this reason. Some British people are racist. Some people uh, just really hated suits. Uh, there's a bunch of different reasons to dislike that. Well, By the so way, the, the, to, wait, wait, oh, before Luke. we move on, before we move on, there is a reverse of what you just said, Luke, which is that when I first started working in the UK, I had to spend many days explaining to British editors that they could not cite random local American TV yes, stations. Yes, because it's the exact they same thing. We're like, what do you mean WXPR Kalamazoo doesn't have the facts right? <laughs> and I'm like, because they are the worst journalists in the world. Yes. Okay, well, Luke, Luke, I am um, I am working on a piece right now. I'm not going to give you too much, but this is how I describe the tabloid media uh, in it. A human centipede of clickbait. Because I think one of the biggest problems with the tabloid media is that y'all don't, Not y'all. Y'all is the wrong word. I think one of the things that Americans don't understand about the tabloid media is the practice of people just picking up other outlets' stories and running with them. And there's nothing in the story that makes it clear that they've corroborated it or fact-checked it. So, like, let's – I want to use the Megan made Kate cry since we talked about that. Yeah. That story um, actually came out in the Telegraph. That was a Telegraph story first. And it was two two sentences in the the Telegraph, but it was taken by the tabloids and splashed everywhere. Like, I believe even in her interview, Oprah had the sun cover that said Megan made Kate cry. But if you open that story up, uh, like 12 paragraphs down, you'll finally see, according to a Guardian report. If you were just just looking at that, you would think the sun had written it. Yeah, exactly. So there is a different standard of kind of... uh, I mean, this is, again, the difference between the UK and, and the US is that the UK press is the uk press is the same as the us us tv and us tv is the same as uk press interesting no which is so essentially yeah you know the american tv like fox news and stuff will run anything unsighted we saw a tweet and we're going with it uh which is the same as, as uh parts of the uk press will do whereas uk tv is generally pretty reliable like the bbc do fact check pretty heavily they you know they mess up but then like um Versus the US press, like New York Times, Washington Post, all these sorts of things are like, no, no, we fact check everything and they're very rigorous. And it's just a complete flip, which means that Americans have no like mental protection against tabloids. Because like, but it's in a newspaper. It must be real. Right. Because like Americans are like, well, it's written down. So smart people (laughs) like, like we can't imagine the idea that like dumb people would use words to communicate because like people Americans, who know words good wrote this yeah yeah americans don't read so we're just like oh we don't know that's the same stuff that books is 
It must be real. <laughs> Something interesting, actually, though, is Americans are really bad at this when it comes to royal stuff. Um, I'm not saying they'll just put anybody with a British accent on TV, but do you remember that happened? There was, I think it was a Wall Street Journal story a few years back about a guy who pretended to have like the world's most pretentious name, and he was flown over yep. to the UK for royal wedding coverage, and he ended up being a guy from upstate New York. That yes, was- this this did that did happen. <laughs> was- it was amazing. Yeah, it was just a posh guy. I mean, to be fair, I, to be fair though, posh people get away with a lot in the UK as well. They can be terrible and incompetent, and we still make them prime minister. So, <laughs> which 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 of your various prime ministers are you subtweeting right now? <laughs> I'm t- subtweeting the one who was born in America, which is our current one. Which of the four Ooh. prime ministers that you've had in the last five years are you talking about? <laughs> so, Ellie, Ellie, t- talk to us about how you first. So, for for people who don't know this, you have uh, uh, an article on BuzzFeed that is. What like 10, 20 million views right now? I'm actually. I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check right now. I haven't checked all day. <laughs> it's gonna inc- check and brag. It's an incredibly viral post where you unequivocally proved that the same outlets covered Kate and Meghan after their marriage into the royal family differently, and for the exact same things, you were able to show that they loved when Kate did it, and they thought it was just a bit much and a bit too aggressive, really, when Meghan did it. And it was sort of this incredible thing that finally proved how blatant this is. Because it wasn't just like when people pick like one outlet and compare it to another. These are the same outlets, the same incidents, the same moment in these women's lives. One is white, one is not white. And that blew things up. So how did you how did you put that together? Because it's it's kind of it's an unbelievable feat, in my opinion. So it all comes from the fact that uh, I got into the royals through history. I was a history nerd. But then I got really into Kate Middleton's fashion. So all, all, sure. my, my origin story as a royal expert is Kate Middleton has cool clothes. But I noticed when Meghan came onto the royal family, uh, came into the royal family and had married, the coverage started slowly shifting. Um, Luke, you know this. For the royal family, there are always stories that make you ask, why is this a story? I mean, there are stories. It's the British tabloids. There are many <laughs> stories like that. <laughs> So uh, actually, um, I, I, there's a royal reporter on Twitter who forgot that he tweeted a long time ago that like this is a soap opera, mm, and yeah. on the days when there's not a good story, you have to write about the pretty clothes. But anyway, so when Meghan married Harry, I noticed that the coverage was beginning to shift. There were still a lot of those "why is this a story?" stories, but they were more negative with Meghan, even in very yeah. sly little ways. The very first um, story that I saw that made me think, "Oh no, you this is different. You need to start keeping track of these." is one that's actually in the piece. It's in the mirror, um, which is one of the tabloids that the uh, that Harry and Meghan will no longer talk to. They completely removed all contact with four tabloids, which are the uh, most first, second, third, and sixth most popular, most circulated in the UK. They won't even talk to them anymore because of all of the coverage yep. they've done. But anyway, so this is right after the wedding. Um, Meghan did an engagement with the Queen, and there was all of this coverage about how great it was, what a great sign it was. The Queen was extending her hand to Meghan. All the stories were about how the queen was so mad Megan didn't wear a hat, mm. which apparently is something you could, you know, face the death penalty for in the UK. Very disrespectful. Yeah. But I knew Kate had done an engagement without wearing a hat before because I really liked her dress at the time. So this was back in 2013. In 2013, it was totally cool for Kate not to wear a hat with the queen. And then in 2015 or the, then in 20. 18, it wasn't. That was too much information. Anywho. <laughs> Post-Brexit is just un- completely unacceptable to attend a fancy engagement without a hat, Ellie. Well, I know it's an immediate death if you don't wear them to weddings. Well, yeah, that is true. Well, yeah. can, I, can, I, can, I, can I say, as a small R Republican on this podcast, <laughs> uh, and the small R is really important, what I think is really weird and interesting about this, and I think it's probably not been picked up on enough, is the difference between uh, the Queen and the institution of the royal family because this is so what, hard to explain to americans yeah so so there is a the visibility of the queen who by all accounts seems like a quite nice person she's reportedly a bit cold sometimes mm. but is generally a nice person and you know has done an awful lot of public service yada, yada, all that's fine she's also you know worth 20 billion and owns like a third of the country and has used her uh, the, uh, the archaic powers of Queen's, Queen's consent in order to hide her true wealth, according to the Guardian. But ignoring all that, the problem is is that 
the royal institution attracts people who are likely to protect what they perceive to be the royal institution. That is different to what probably the Queen wants and probably many senior royals want, including, you know, Prince Charles, Prince William, all that sort of stuff. So what you end up with is people attempting to protect a version of the monarchy that doesn't necessarily exist and protect it through the through the press. Right. So you end up with stories like the one that Elise just mentioned, where they're saying the Queen was very angry at this. I guarantee the Queen didn't give a shit. She never gives a shit. It never comes out. There was there was an incident a few years ago where um, Michelle Obama uh, met her and like put her hand on her back, and it was a big thing. It was a huge event, and it was like the Queen didn't care. She clearly didn't care at the time. She didn't even react to it. It was that little caring, and that's not someone who's just like I, I, I'm a perfect model servant, public servant. It's are there any, sim- are there any similarities between Michelle Obama? and I was going to say. I was going to say, is there anything that would link those two women? So I actually, that, that's a really good segue because I, I wanted to talk about racism in the UK. I got lots of things to say about that. It doesn't exist, as I understand. So, yeah. So first, for people listening, this is an audio medium. So I, I should say that we are all white and two of us are Americans. The best way that I've learned to explain how racism feels out to as an outsider watching it when I was living there and as the as a person who you know worked with people of color and tried to advocate for you know coworkers of mine of color and got nowhere in that regard um is that the UK and I think that it was even Luke who described this to me this way which is that the modern UK approaches racism the same way that like the confederate state would have if they won the civil war it is it is this idea of like insidious social racism that isn't as blatant and isn't like the american style where you just never see a person of color and you live in segregated zones and it's like heavily militarized but it is deeply social and it is sort of like inseparable from the fabric of life in england well, I'm going to dunk on myself from whenever I told you that, because that is not how the Confederates would have handled <laughs> Yeah, racism. I know. There's some differences. But it is very, like, antebellum South, sort of, like, insidious racism. And it is it is so insidious that I think it is, like, very hard to even talk about in the UK. You know UK lords um, secretly supported uh, Confederate, the Confederacy. Well, they there were was, their, there they were their cousins. Of course they did. Yeah. Like, where do you think everyone from the Antebellum South came from? They came from manor houses in the UK. Like, My favorite story is like this very, I think a wealthy American woman or British woman had gold coins that she got in England and sewed them into her clothing so she could smuggle money to the Confederacy. Yeah, I mean, although in fairness, there's the additional political thing that the, the Union had done a revolution. So there was, <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing. Weird. Um, I don't um, but, know if you guys have heard of this. Not not me. Not <laughs> I've never all, heard of the all. Revolutionary War growing up in Boston. So <laughs> I was actually interviewed for a BBC documentary back in December, and they they asked me the question just point blank, do you think the British press is racist? And uh, Ryan, it was 10 words or less. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> First of all, that is a very BBC, in 10 words or less, are we racist? <laughs> it was at the end, and there was just one after another, and it was, they were questions designed to trip me up. Like One of the questions was, who do you think will be on the balcony at the next Trooping the Color? Which is, which is, you know, asking our hair, oh, it's, oh, it's a very important question, just first of all. Yeah. Um, it's it's really not. <laughs> none of this, <laughs> none of this is particularly <laughs> pressing, Ellie. Like, no, I'm, no, it's know. not. It, it really isn't. Anyway, my answer was that um, I think the British press can be colorblind, which isn't always a good thing. I think that's something about racism in Britain that we're seeing come out. I, I'm seeing it because this is, you're seeing the sort of reaction when you look at how royal reporters are responding to all of the talk about racism. The primary fights about racism in the UK have not become whether or not racism is bad, but what counts as racism. <laughs> and there is a there is a there is a standard assumption that you know an awful lot of people have made the assumption racism is bad. I am good, therefore I am not racist, which is not a a, a logical uh, it's not a logical sequence that follows. Which means that you know I try to think of like what the most visible things are, and the most visible things probably right now are the COVID stuff, which. There are areas of London, there are areas of various cities which have had significantly lower vaccine take-up by, like, like significantly more than in various American cities, which is more notable because uh, proportions are different. Uh, and those numbers are so much lower because, broadly speaking, wealth, uh, access to healthcare, all these sorts of things 
are genuine problems in the UK, but people don't really think they are. These things are hard to talk about specifically because British society makes them vi- like Americans have a. I mean, look, I think we're basically an apartheid state. I think we're like a really bad country, and I think we have some of the worst racism in the world. And you can point at it, and you can see it, and you can say like, "There it is." In the UK, yeah. you feel fucking psychotic talking about it because every posh person's like, "Oh, why? Whatever do you mean? We just don't happen to have any black people here. There's nothing wrong with that." If they wanted to be here, they would be. And it's like like they gaslight you to a degree that is maddening. And I can I can only imagine what it is like when you're inside of that shitstorm because the the press loves that crap. They love to be the gaslighting arm arm of the royal family. They're gaslighting now. I mean, if you look at if you look at all of the media, uh, all the tabloid media, but even I would say, you know, Guardian, Telegraph, um, you just you know, the bigger, the bigger papers that Americans tend to think of as like more established, like you are real news. Their reaction is all, oh, we're not racist and, oh, we're not biased. Look at all of the wonderful coverage we had of the wedding. Go look back. I mean, you see Piers Morgan always tweeting those pictures of the great headlines and the wonderful, you know, columns he would write about Meghan before he finally got pissed off that she ghosted him. Okay, so, okay, sorry. Can we do a Piers Morgan thing quickly? Oh, yes. No. Okay, right. wait, no. Because <laughs> I, I, I tweeted about this today. But. Luke, it's called transitioning into a new segment. So now we're going to be... T- <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about Pierce Morgan. <laughs> Sorry, okay. So my take on Pierce Morgan is that he is has no personal animosity or appreciation for Megan at all, but no, but basically followed the numbers down until they got to a point where there was enough division that he was like, I should switch, and this is going to make people more angry, and I will get more attention. Like, he is pure the, grift. The Nigel Farage theory of, of broadcasting. It, he basically. is pure grift. I'm <laughs> impressed by it. I hate it, but I'm impressed by it. I... It really is remarkable. <laughs> Pierce Morgan is a really, really interesting figure to view. So... Like, for instance, I had que- I had questions from my dad yesterday about who Pierce Morgan is. And my dad is a capital R Republican. And Pierce Morgan did not translate. Pierce Morgan doesn't really translate. He, In fact, I mean, my favorite thing about Pierce Morgan is the photo of, like, him, like, waiting for Trump to show up to dinner or something. You know, like, there's all these stories of, like, Pierce Morgan and Nigel Farage and all those guys, like, trying to fit in with American conservatism. And they just can't. It doesn't work. Yeah. Well, also, Piers Morgan was very anti-gun. Yes. He's also sniveling and desperate. And American conservatives, you know, there are a lot of things, but, like, they're they're pretty good at, like, hiding their desperation from each other, I think. He had a CNN show. I just remember that. I thought he had an American show. He did. He had a show on CNN for three years. Well, the thing is, the American show, he was was basically his warm-up for his UK show. Because the American show, he he was trying to find the same model, but couldn't find the line right. So he would be like... I'm going to be the anti-gun guy and discovered that like it, he was fi- he was on the wrong bit of the line in that an awful lot of people, he was trying to basically find 50% of people are anti-gun, 50% of people pro-gun and 10% of each of those groups are really angry about it. That's his perfect spot. And instead he was trying to say, I'm anti-gun. And he was, you know, the US is probably 50% anti-gun, but there's a lot of gray areas in there. And because you can't say you want to ban guns, you can only say we want to ban bump stocks or whatever the, fucking latest thing is mm-hmm. uh you can't actually say you want to ban guns so he ended up just not being able to quite find the line and that's why it didn't quite work for him but when he came out to the uk he's more familiar with it and he can go right i'm going to hate on vegan greg sausage rolls and <laughs> they're great by the way everyone is gonna lose their minds about it for like, first of all two vegan weeks. sausage rolls from greg's are fucking fantastic <laughs> that I, will, I will that is the hill i will die on ellie i have a question for you because i think okay. you might be uniquely equipped to answer this it feels to me like the Meghan and Harry interview is glitching out the way like conservative tabloids in both America and the US think about authority because like you have these bizarre things where like the UK press is being like no like we're totally progressive and we're totally fine and we're not we're not conservative like hate mongers and then Fox News is being like actually monarchy is good <laughs> and like and like it's cool to have a royal family and we re- and I'm Tucker Carlson and I respect the sovereignty of the British monarchy because I'm a, an idiot like it just feels like we're at this like like this stage where the 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 already really heavily brewing culture war has reached this pivotal moment, and then it just all it took was just Meghan and Harry be like, "Hey, Oprah, 
Let's talk. And it's all imploding. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch how this interview affects the entire media ecosystem. And not just in the United States. I mean, not just in the United Kingdom, but in the United States as well. See, again, Marie, we like to put people with fancy accents on TV to talk about things they don't know about. Um, yeah, it, it go, I think it's also like similar to the QAnon thing. The narratives in the tabloids have been so constant for the past few years about Megan being a homewrecker, about her being you know, the person who bullied everybody else, um, which also, the t- we haven't talked about that, but the timing of the time story last week was, uh, was really say, interesting. Can you say a bit about it, just for people who don't know what you're talking about? Totally. Um, so this was, I believe, a Tuesday. Um, oh, it was, right. So here's how the timeline worked out, and I love this timeline. Uh, Oprah interview was announced in early February. Harry and Meghan um, sit down for their interview. Then the UK Times publishes a story saying that Megan is a bully. And what's more, there were formal complaints to HR about her being a bully. Their former head of staff wrote a letter saying how unacceptable it was that, you know, I can't get the exact date, but something like two personal assistants had left in in, in six months that she was running people out of the job and being a bully. And uh, so this big story came out in the Times, lots of anonymous quotes, which, you know, for this sort of thing, you can understand. Um, the story even said that like some people broke NDAs in order to come to the press and say that because they wanted to fix the narrative before the Oprah interview so that to make it clear that Megan wasn't a victim. She was in fact making victims out of other people. That was the time story, but they had another story too. Uh, this one is they revealed that Megan wore earrings that had been given to the crown um, by the, I think it's Mohammed, Mohammed bin Saud, Mohammed and- it was Mohammed bin Salman. Oh, I heard yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mohammed bin Salman. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So he, right before their wedding, he visited with the queen and gave these really fancy diamond earrings to the queen saying like, hey, this is a wedding present, which is what's done. Like the crown gets presents, but these are the crown's jewels. Technically they, they were, you know, Harry and Meghan's wedding present, but the queen keeps them in like her fancy jewel vault. Turns it's called out- the Tower of London. Is that true? Oh. Is, are the jewels no. still in there? Oh, okay. no, no, there are no, some no, no. jewels. It's yeah, not yeah. the actual jewels. Like the, the fancy ones that you <laughs> wear for a, the... It's a pret on Oxford <laughs> Street that they've converted into a jewel vault. Yeah. Yes. I think there, there actually is one in Buckingham Palace. But anyway, so Meghan and Harry went on a tour um, of Australia and the South Pacific. And she wore those earrings on the tour something like three weeks uh, after Jamal Khashoggi had been killed. Which at the yeah. time, people were beginning to say it was obviously the government, but there hadn't been any proof yet. So this story, while presenting facts, sort of made it sound like Megan wore these earrings on purpose and she didn't care about a journalist being murdered. Right. And the thing that was sort of iffy on this is that at the time, they, um, her team told the press that the earrings were borrowed, but didn't give any more information, which looks suspicious. I mean, objectively, if these turn out to be controversial earrings, not telling people where they're from is a little, uh-uh. Right. But I mean also though the UK government is selling arms to Saudi Arabia. So oh, like, true. what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like this is what makes you feel so insane of the royal family. It's like it's like watching a soap opera as the world implodes. Like it's it's like what yeah, it's it's watching a cartoon on a in, in a car that's about going off a cliff. It's it's completely insane to watch this. It's theoretically incredibly important and it actually just doesn't matter. And that's why this feels so insane to be British well, about this stuff. I, it's KFAB. It's WWE. Yeah. It's not. It's it's a simula, It's a simulacrum of reality, but it's like condensed into like the bitchiest, most soap operatic moments, so you can like process it. And it doesn't make. I mean, it matters in terms of like the personal. Like it, like it matters. What happens? What's happening to Megan matters. What, what's happening to these people matters. Yeah. yeah. But like, it's. the Kardashians actually have more influence on society. Like the inner machinations of what's going on in that family is actually way more important because like they contribute to society. They're not just like leeches. (laughs) Like like, they actually contribute to the GDP of America versus the Royal family, which does not contribute to the GDP of the UK. So this is my grand theory um, sort of about really why Harry and Meghan left, even though now we know like the bigger thing was that all this harassment and lack of support from the family my theory has always been that Harry and Meghan couldn't do enough as royals. 
because if you're members of the royal family, there's a very strong, there's a, a very strong boundary between what you can do and what you can't. So like one of uh, Kate and Will and Harry's big causes was mental health. And you can do all these PSAs for mental health and go and visit mental health centers, but they can't say, hey, we need to allocate more money for mental health funds. So they can't do anything that's actually, that would have real change. Now is raising attention a, a way to, you know, get, get changed? Atten- to- uh, Ellie, Ellie, we have a Patreon. So attention is everything to us. Atten- uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the attention economy. <laughs> what are the royals, if not just YouTubers at this point? <laughs> I mean, you, you have a point that they've only been doing Zoom calls for a year. <laughs> they've done Ellie, would, Ellie, would else. you say that the royal family are just uh, very good at digital marketing and influencer economics? Megan made him get better. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Like she, she came in and d- took over, uh, made and then took over an official Instagram account. She, it's very obvious that the royal family thought, "Ooh, shit, we have to get better and start doing better social media things." when she came on the scene and all of her posts started blowing up. There's a great New York Times article by Katie Weaver examining uh, the two Instagram feeds, which I highly recommend. There was also a fascinating set of posts by uh, the uh, Prince uh, Prince uh, Prince Charles's account, the the, uh, the Duchy of Cornwall's account, uh, about how he, you know, a few days after this interview came out, went and to a local vaccination center and met an awful lot of people, all of whom just happened to be black. It was an entire Cody coincidental, but that yeah, that's those are the photos they released. That happens though. Sometimes you know you're just strolling around as royalty, and then you just happen upon a completely random selection of people, and then photographed. Yeah. Then and then you're photographed interacting with them. That that can yeah. happen. Yeah. So with one black person, with two black people, with three black people, it's it's what happens. Just a days after your entire fa- your family's been accused of being super racist. <laughs> so I hadn't heard I hadn't heard that, and I can't speak to anything because I have no idea who this, who said that. But it is an interesting PR move to do that with Prince Charles after an interview in which we know that someone who wasn't the prince who, who wasn't Prince Philip and wasn't the Queen was the person who asked the questions about how dark uh, Harry and Meghan's child was going to be. It's just, I'm sure it's a coincidence. I'm sure. Okay, I'm, we, we, sure I'm sure it's a coincidence. Let me send you the tweet. Hold on, I've got the tweet here. yeah their prize their prize are fun oh wait so ellie ellie we're gonna do something that we've never done before on the content minds with you but i thought we could try it because it there's a lot of interest in like what you're covering and it's so dense that i think it can be very hard for like people to sort of pick apart what what to talk, what like, what this is, right? That's what my editors tell me. My editors. <laughs> I, I threw uh, to the uh, the Garbage Day Discord. So for, for those who, who aren't aware, I read a newsletter called Garbage Day. If you subscribe to Garbage Day or you subscribe to the Content Minds Patreon account, you can get access to this Discord. It's a really lovely place. There's like 300 it's people really in dope. there. It's really dope. It's fun. Like I, don't, I wasn't fun. expecting to like it and I do. So I asked them today, do you have any questions for Ellie? Uh, because everyone is trying to understand what this is and what's happening. So I've got some questions for you. So our first question is... I will be back in the Discord one day. Hit me. Uh, so our question, our first question is from Simon C., who asks, is Ofcom really a government body oh. and doesn't have any actual teeth? And this is largely based on Jake Tapper very publicly yesterday uh, saying that Ofcom was like some sort of Orwellian censorship board. And I've tried to correct him on this. So that's our first question from Simon C., this might be one I, more for Luke. I, I literally I mean, have of, no idea what you're talking about. I have been all royals for the past week. Ofcom, Ofcom is an independent regulatory agency. It's not massively dissimilar to the FCC. It's like diff- different just because like laws work differently. But it is essentially like, I don't know. A, it's like many <laughs> regulatory agencies that regulate water or the amount of metal in food and all that sort of stuff like it's an independent regulatory agency and he seems to insist jake tapper is defending pierce morgan jake tapper is defending pierce morgan's constitutional right in america to deny the fact that Meghan markle felt suicidal which i tried to explain to him in the uk they have very strict and i think actually very reasonable regulations about how you communicate mental health in mass media. It's not dissimilar from Americans not being able to see nipples at the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's just countries prioritize different things. 
you can see uncensored penises and vaginas on broadcast British TV if you want, but you cannot say that suicide doesn't matter. Yeah, you don't want to see naked British people on their own television. (laughs) Unless they're Tom Hiddleston. I would like to see Tom Hiddleston. I think it's very, very They're not Tom Hiddleston. Like, like... (laughs) Have you... Wait, Ali, have you heard of Naked Attraction? Unfortunately, yes. I've seen the tweets. Okay, good. So, (laughs) my thing is, like, for the Americans like Jake Tapper, who are like, I can't believe Ofcom is investigating Pierce Morgan. It's like, all right, man, pull your penis out on TV. Like if you want to defend free speech, pull your penis out on TV because that's what, what you can't do on TV in this country. You can do that in the UK. You just can't say that it's not a big deal to feel suicidal because it might cause more suicides because the UK cares more about mental health. That's the difference. I mean, this is the entire – honestly, the most annoying thing about the entire discourse has – sorry for to both of you – has been Americans. <laughs> <laughs> like the number of Americans have said things like – yeah, that's why the British bow and scrape to the monarchy. And I'm like, I don't know if you've been here, but we do not. <laughs> like, that is, like, they are there. They are mascots. It's, they're fine. They're around. But, like, the amount of respect that one person gives to the American flag at any random baseball game while absolutely <laughs> hammered out of their mind on Budweiser is the same as the entire lifetime of respect that a British person gives to the monarchy. If they're there, you wave. Fine. So, wait. <laughs> I went to Meghan and Harry's wedding. I did not go inside, but I spent the entire day in a Union Jack suit outside live streaming on Facebook. On the way out of Windsor? It was Windsor, yes. On the way out of Windsor, going to the train, I saw the drunkest man I have ever seen. (laughs) He was wearing a suit that had been unbuttoned down to the waist. and his. I I think it's really unfair given that he's in hospital right now and he's very sick. And I think we shouldn't (laughs) do... This guy, who is not the guy that you're talking about, this random drunk man was sunburned to the point where he needed probably to go to a hospital. And he was being dragged by police. And the police officers seemed not very dramatic about this. They were just like, he needs to get out of here. His girlfriend had a fascinator fall into the side. And she was extremely sunburned on her shoulders. And her dress was falling down so that her brow was kind of coming out. And she was screaming at the top of her lungs at the police officers, You fucking I'll fucking kill you! Like, screaming drunk. And they just walked by. And I was like, that's all you need to know about the British public's relationship to the royal family. Well, yeah, because Will and Kate, uh, it was a bank holiday, right? When Will and Kate got married, y'all had a day off? I didn't. I was working in a, a, a TV shop, and I watched it in 3D on one of the new 3D TV, TVs. <laughs> oh, it was not cool. good. That's pretty cool. I was Because I was supposed to be selling washing machines at the time, and they, obviously no one came in because it was a bank holiday because it was a royal wedding. Y'all didn't get a bank holiday for Meghan and Harry. That we was didn't. supposed to be. Because um, he was on he's a not the air. He's not the heir. Sorry. We're done with this now. Their okay. line doesn't matter. Wait, wait, wait. I got more questions from the Discord. Okay. Cool. So next, we, uh, we have a question from Rin. Who asks, does the Royal Palace have Wi Fi? Does the Royal Palace yes. have Wi Fi? Of course it does, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's an office. Mean, I mean, it has an HR department. If it has an HR department, it has Wi Fi. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a competent HR department, clearly. Oh, but no. it has an HR department. If you have Wi Fi for too long, you will develop an HR department. That just happens yeah. if you have a Wi Fi connection. It's okay, next science. question from Karokin Woe. Karokin Woe. You get the idea. Yes. Um, I would love an overview of the arms of power that the monarchy has access to. What is the firm? Does the queen have the PM on speed dial? What's the unspoken expectation of the level of access the royals would have to the press? Do you want to do the press thing and I'll do the power thing? Uh, yeah, uh, the only thing I was about to say, the only thing I know is that the queen has a weekly meeting with Boris Johnson and whoever the PM is. But everybody knows that from the crown anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's essentially meaning. So... This is where it gets complicated. It's something I mentioned a little bit earlier, that there is this thing known as Queen's Consent, which is that any bill that passes Parliament, the Queen has to consent to. By practice, by de, it's de facto, it she does she just consents. It's it's a thing, you know, you give she you give her the bill, she signs it, she hands it back to you. It's it's fine. It's not a a, a thing that is ever reconsidered. Uh there's a, a process in Parliament where, you know, they say before every bill is introduced uh, I can't remember that line, but it's along the lines of, you know, uh, with her Queen Majesty's consent, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's assumed to be a essentially a formality. However, as of about a month ago, The Guardian did some incredible reporting on this and discovered that, you know, there is a little bit of power behind it. Uh, and it's particularly related to things around what the Queen owns, particularly like land and agricultural interests and stuff like that. 
uh, as well as a couple of additional bits and pieces. It's not a huge amount, but it is it is something. And it's believed that over the last 60 plus years, uh, the, the royal's family has vetted more than a thousand laws using this process. So for a long time, it's been assumed they haven't had any power. But the reality is, is they do have some power and that power is kept quiet and they do use it. And it's not used in like dramatic ways. You know, they're not going to reverse Brexit, but they are going to do things like... Could they? Could they do that, please? Could they, could they reverse uh, Brexit, please? <laughs> no, I mean, that would be great fun for the amount of piss it would boil, but... <laughs> uh, no, it is broadly stuff where they insert additional clauses into primarily keep their own wealth secret, but also, you know, a couple other things. Oh, pork barrel stuff. Pork barrel stuff, like we do over here. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But, you know, it's the... the the monarchy doing it and for a long time they've essentially assumed that they haven't had any monarchy and that's why they haven't had any power and that's what we agreed back in uh 1661 and it's been fine since turns out not quite true uh and that's the big deal so my my, my, the last two questions we have in the discord right now are actually that was that was far more arcane no 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 these are these are related to that so so i want to keep going with this which is potch asks has there been any additional blowback from the somewhat recent discovery that the crown probably has a lot more uh, influence than they were claiming? So are, are, oh, people are people pissed about this? Everyone looks at me like, ooh, it seems bad. But everyone who's interested was already a Republican. and <laughs> With, an, with a lowercase r. With a lowercase with r. A lowercase r and no one's got more exercised about it than, than they should have. It was talked about far, far less than this most recent thing. And the last one um, is from Nico. And it's how much power or interest does this does like a ninety four year old have in doing any of this stuff? Like, how active is the queen whenever she's talked about in you know the press or with the day to day with the family? Okay. Can I go fan theory here? And Ellie, you can tell me if I'm right. Go for it. Okay, my fan theory about this is that essentially the queen retired about fifteen years ago, and you know not retired fully. She's clearly she died. Active. Is she dead? No, no. Prince Philip is dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> no. Um, no, she retired about 15 years ago and, and Prince Charles essentially took over. Like, he does the majority of the day-to-day stuff. She is, like, the ceremonial president of the of the company. And, you know, she still rocks up at things, but she's actually really not hugely involved anymore, whereas Prince Charles is doing the majority of the actual, like, day-to-day work. That's my theory, and that is why I think that... Because going back to my earlier theory that the... the, the the idea that the monarchy doesn't rock from the head, like no institutions do. It is the people, the lower down people who are very conscious about the power and want to hold on to it. He is the one who's exercising this power and therefore preventing Harry and Meghan from leaving over the last two years. I can't speak to this. Um, but... Oh, I have no evidence for this, obviously. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 say that, I say that as a reflex because so many royal commentators get on the air and talk like they know everything and I... I don't, and I want to make yeah, sure. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just being British here. <laughs> no, yeah. but yeah, that, that automatically makes you more informed than me. Um, the sad thing is, and I, I don't know if this is the case, but it does seem to be a somewhat familiar tale in terms of people getting older and having people who might not have their best interests at heart stepping up to sort of con- control their lives or take over. So, I, Ryan, I know you didn't watch the special, but there was – a great moment when I've Oprah watched scene, I've watched scenes from it later. I've, yeah, I just didn't. I don't have. TV. You watched the highlights. Well, yeah, yeah. But also the, to you, the fairest thing to do to me this week has just been like Ellie. I didn't watch it. Anything you text me, I'm not going to pay attention to because like mm. I would have kept. Oh, out. speaking of which, N- Nico in the Discord asks, which VPN provider do you think the royal family used to watch the stream on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I assume they got a tape. Like, <laughs> Oh, I would be surprised if one, of, yeah, if one of the perks you can get is getting DVDs of things that are on air. I mean, or that are about to come out. Like, the military gets them. I'm sure I imagine they, like, walked the queen into, like, a, like, 1990s basement entertainment center den and, like, put in a VHS tape. No. Yeah, no, no, yeah, it's like, no, it's like that. She, she watched it on, like, a, an, like, a, a 12-inch. Yeah. Like a like portable time. DVD player from like 2004. No, 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 they put it in on a VHS in one of those 12-inch TVs with like a combi VHS TV player. <laughs> and like it's not yeah. in a special room. It's just like in her kitchen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's just like standing in the kitchen watching it because it's the only TV that she has. Yeah. Uh, now, so in terms of that, there was a moment in the interview where Oprah said, wasn't well, she the queen? Isn't she? Doesn't she get to do what she wants? And Harry and Meghan gave each other a look. 
And to me, it, it sort of looked like survivors of something because to them, you could see to them, it made such complete perfect sense that of course the queen wasn't in charge of everything. Mm. But for the rest of us, it's, it's hard to understand. I think you were dead on earlier about people who work for the institution being more married to the institution than the people in it themselves. Yeah, the institution is is the thing and the institution is made by, by the people in it. Like, what would the queen do in order, if she was like going to come out and say, uh, I actually don't think there should be a monarchy anymore. Charles shouldn't be king. Bit of a wrong one. Like, like, like my other child. <laughs> uh i don't like what would she do she couldn't do that she can get on tv saying that like mm. i don't think she's trying to do that i think that she's generally pretty protective in the institution but the institution is very limited what happens next what, what what's the what's what's what, what happens after all of this is anything going to change or is it just the same old shit i think it depends on what the people want which sounds like a stupid answer but you're beginning to see in the uk i mean let's loop back to piers morgan piers morgan finally made a statement and you know, confirming that he had he's leaving ITV's Good Morning, where he has been ranting about Megan regularly every morning for years, um, because someone, uh, one of his colleagues, called him out on it. The reason Piers Morgan was suspended because forty one thousand people called in, like we were talking about, or like Jake Tapper didn't understand. You don't think that means anything? What do you think that no. is? No, Ofcom has zero teeth. Like, yeah, they're not like really. The point, the point about the Jake Tapper thing is that Ofcom are some. Someone said that you know. Ofcom are like a government-controlled police dog in the same way that Scooby-Doo is a detective. Like, they're not. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 41,000 people. Like, the, the people here is the thing I'm interested in. You don't think... Would you, would you like to know that... Oh, are they just people who hate Piers Morgan and don't give a shit about Meghan Markle? No, Tommy but... Robinson inspired more, more than 80,000 complaints after he was interviewed on Sky News and it was considered unfair. Yeah, and also him. Piers Morgan... Res- we, just to be factual here, Piers Morgan resigned, like hours before Ofcom announced they were investigating. So they're, they're not uh, I, I think Yeah, I think, it was, I think he announced afterwards, but it wasn't close. But it, it's nothing to do with Ofcom off, off compliance. I think he resigned because he it was a good moment for him. Yeah. In fact, he'll probably become more powerful somewhere else that he can just like yeah. completely, you know, whatever YouTube. Well, no, it'll be, it'll be GB News, which is our new Fox, Fox-like TV channel that we're starting for something. God. Okay, yeah, yeah. But to bring it back, like, so Ellie, do you think anything is going to change after this? I think... The thing that could change, that has a potential to change, is how the royals are covered. Because if you're looking at an institution that's festering almost as much as that of the royal family, it's the way this whole system of media in which the royal family is covered, where you have gatekeepers. It's an entire, it's an entire beat where everything is done off the record or done through anonymous sources. And I think people are beginning to get fed up with that because it's not just a soap opera anymore. You know, people who are our age, like we, we grew up knowing Diana died, but we didn't see all the coverage that led to that. And after she died, like there was a, a, a little bit of a change in terms of physically aggressive paparazzi and photographers. I'm interested to see if there will be a similar moment with how roles are covered and also how they're covered online. Does that make sense? Because like, yeah, objectively, there, you don't see people in photographers chasing royals anymore. Like that was a thing that was very, very common. But then, I mean, well, yeah. it was common after she left the royal family. Like, like her oh, during yeah, the yeah, period yeah, yeah. It was slightly more different. But oh yeah, because no, yeah. poli- no police, yeah. Yeah, mm. I, I think I think one thing that I think is very interesting is that the number of people who are in favor of abolition of the monarchy has been stable for. 30 years it's about it's somewhere between 15 and 20 percent of people uh and in the last few weeks it's jumped up to about 29 30 percent uh so support for abolition of monarchy has gone up by about 50 percent in the last few weeks they have, to rebuild, they have they have to rebuild themselves as a family i think i think that's the only pr move right now because the thing that's kept them you know throughout all this this power and horribleness that republicans hate uh small r republicans is that there? You have that family, like William and Harry are Diana's boys, and everybody wants to see them happy. And it's not even no, it's no, no, it's not even the family. It's not even the family. It's the Queen. The Queen oh. is it. She is oh, the most no, popular rule, royal by such a long way. It is the Queen that holds the whole thing together. It is, and when she dies, I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, no, I'm yeah. being serious. Like I follow the royals, I have no idea. Because no one really like no one really likes Charles. No, I mean there there's a movement. There's been a movement for a while to skip him and go to William, but now. It's yeah, interesting. Well, that's mad. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, defeats the whole purpose. Happen. But especially now that William is getting, you know, some bad press, and he's even in the speculations about who said the thing Prince about George. the race. That's right. Let the baby lead. 
<laughs> um, Ellie, before we go, yes. I want to end this week's show the way we end every week's show by asking you. Well, no, wait, we don't ask you. If you're going to ask me what I'm doing to stay sane, like you already know, that's not a great question right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie, what content are you consuming to stay sane? What content am I consuming to stay sane? I'm actually creating. Does that count? Yeah. Any, you know, if you're creating content, consuming content, whatever you want to do, content is content. Content. And this is the content minds. That's right. It is. Yeah. Uh, playing piano. I have, okay. I'm very lucky. I have a piano. I grew up taking piano lessons and I've gotten back into it. Uh, re- well, I got back into it during the pandemic in terms of practicing regularly, but I've been having fun playing around um, making music. So it's nice. That's nice. It's, it's an, yeah, just fun. That's and I, I have a six month old puppy too. I have a six month old puppy. So she keeps me busy. Puppies are content. Puppies yeah. are great content. They're great for my brand. Luke, Everything's content. Luke, Luke, what type of content are you consuming to stay sane this week? Uh, I've been watching a lot of, uh, the new Australian series of Married at First Sight. What is that? Is great. Uh, it's a show. It's the show where, where Two oh people. no no right right married at first yeah. sight sorry okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's Australian so they're all oh. they're all lunatics oh fantastic yeah <sighs> I spoke I think I've spoken about this in the podcast before but uh, it's a new series uh, and yeah it's just great because they yeah, they're all Australian everyone's furious with each other they all constantly try and keep cheating on each other and rather than the American <laughs> version which is you know they meet at the altar and then they follow three separate couples across their lives for like a month. Uh, this one, they all have to meet up for a dinner party once a week. <laughs> That's so Australian. So they, and, oh my God. and they're also, and rather than being like three couples, so it's six people, it's like 12 couples. So it's like 24 people. And they just put them into this, this big room and then they all stream each other. Two people go off and have sex. Generally, two people are not married to each other. And it's a mess. It's great. Wow. I always, I always love when, uh, I think it was last year when Love Island was on, but Five o'clock hits, and all of a sudden, everybody in the UK is watching the same thing, and your timeline turns into <laughs> gibberish. Love Island, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's fun. All right, Ryan, what do you watch? What content are you consuming to stay sane? I am consuming the second season of the show Titans, which is like a gritty version of Teen Titans, and it's on HBO Max. And it's the same show that had Robin being like, fuck Batman in the first season. Uh, <laughs> this season is really fun. Uh, especially if like after WandaVision, you just wanted like some good classic, no nonsense superheroes doing stuff. Uh, but this season has Superboy in it and Crypto and Crypto is portrayed as like Superman's dog is portrayed as being like absolutely horrifying. Cause it's like, what if a dog <laughs> had the powers of Superman? And the answer is it's scary as shit. Cause he's a dog, <laughs> you know, that is scary. And there is a scene where crypto catches a rocket shot out of a rocket launcher in his mouth, then spins it back at the guy and explodes the guy. Oh, wow. These are cre- he, it, creepy. Yeah, but crypto, he- crypto's a nice dog, but like, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Um, you know, something, something to do while I wait to be vaccinated, you know? <laughs> yeah. I haven't gotten one yet. Luke, how about you? Are you too young for the UK rollout? He's not 65, no. Yeah. Well, I can't tell. <laughs> Ellie, thank you for coming on the Content Minds this week. I feel like I do understand things slightly better now. I, do you? Because I think I'm for. more confused. You're more confused? Well, you know. Um, <laughs> if people want to follow you uh, on the internet, where can they find you, Ellie? They can find me on Twitter. Um, I am at Ellie V. Hall, V as in Victor. And I write for BuzzFeedNews.com, the internet website. The internet website. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ellie. And uh, keep uh, keep destabilizing the British monarchy one tweet at a time. I'll try. Uh, th- this week's goal is the media. Thank you guys for listening to The Content Minds. If you want to support the show, definitely head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash The Content Minds, and you can check out uh, the show that we do uh, specifically for patrons, which is called Post Post Credit Scene. It's like a movie club. We did all the DC movies, and now we're currently doing the Fast and the Furious movies. Speaking of the DC movies, next week, Luke, is a very important week for us. Yes, I'm not looking forward to this, to be honest. So next week, the Snyder Cut is coming out, and it's the one-year anniversary of starting this podcast with Luke. (laughs) Yes. It's like Zack Snyder knew that this thing that has caused us so much grief watching all of his horrible movies for the last several months, it's all come to this. Four hours Zack Snyder movie. 
Jeez, four gosh. hours, which is already leaked. So we could we could watch it right now, but I'm gonna wait. I want to wait and savor it. I don't. I just I just don't want to watch it. It's just, I'm gonna hate it. <laughs> it's gonna be really bad. Um, I don't think I don't think I've gone into a movie thinking I'm gonna hate it as much as I have ever. What if like, it's, for years? What if it's good? No, no. We, <laughs> this, is, this is what we did with like I don't know. It's what everyone thought before the Phantom Menace. Like, what if it's good? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. You're right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna dedicate the next episode of the Content Minds to the Snyder Cut. It's gonna be the biggest thing on the internet. It's this massive conspiracy theory that has spread throughout Reddit and then became real. And like, I think when I started to see it being advertised on the hoardings of uh, uh, football matches, I think that was the moment I was like, "This is this has got un- uneasy." This is it's a big deal. The internet sort of like pulled something into reality and we're going to have to all deal with it. It's not dissimilar to the insurrection. <laughs> but it's, it's not dissimilar to the, the Trump presidency. Yeah, it's it's a really weird thing and we're going to try to pull it apart next week from every angle we can think of and it's I yeah, I'm really not looking forward to watching this thing. Uh I'm curious. I'm morbidly curious. But Yeah. <sighs> Okay. So, so yeah, if anyone wants if anyone wants to spend four hours watching it, then you know, don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we will we will be back next week with a, a one year anniversary of the Content Minds and a Snyder Cut episode for you. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for for listening and um, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>